From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and joining me this week is Peter Cohn, the budget and appropriations editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Great to be here, David. Thanks. And it's been a busy week for us in budget land, so we have a lot to chew on this week. There were rumblings of trying to resurrect the Build Back Better plan and talk of a bipartisan energy plan. We had some happy talk coming out from top appropriators this week that they're hopeful of getting a, a, an agreement going on to start the fiscal 2023 appropriation cycle and some economic news to report on. But let's start, Pete, with the, with the biggest item on the plate, because it's what's going to preoccupy Congress for the next couple of weeks anyway. And that is this new White House request for Ukraine aid, $33 billion of emergency spending, both military and economic and humanitarian aid. And it's all tied up with pandemic relief and immigration policy. It still looks like a big mess to get sorted out. Yeah, it, it certainly does look like a, a, a mess. You know, I think that with the Ukraine piece of this, there there is really a there's a broad bipartisan sense that it is critical to get that through as as quickly as possible. There's there's differences over some of the details uh, in there. There's some people on the Republican side who think that the amount of military aid should should increase. There are others who don't like the idea of lending more money to the IMF while that money should get ultimately funneled to Ukraine to help rebuild Ukraine's economy and help prop up their their budget in this difficult time. There's a concern that there's not enough guardrails on what the IMF- The International Monetary Fund for international it, Right, lending. International Monetary Fund, what they can ultimately, where that money would ultimately go. So there's some things they need to work through. But uh, as you mentioned, the appropriators, the top four members of the Appropriations Committee in the House and the Senate, they met yesterday. They started talking about the whole process for this year. You know, there's a sense that they got to do something on, on Ukraine. Now, you know, and the president said yesterday, um, his letter to Congress outlining this aid said, look, COVID-19 is still with us and uh, we need that money yesterday to help buy more antivirals, to help uh, people who are uninsured, to get more vaccines in the pipeline, booster shots coming this fall. We need that money. But then you'll notice in his remarks afterwards, he said, I don't care if they're attached. I don't, I don't care if the two pieces are connected. We need to get them both done. Do them, you know, Congress, it's up to you. Do it however you want. So this is the typical, you know, kind of um, pickle that Chuck Schumer is in, the Senate majority leader in, in, you know, how do I get this through? What is the packaging and what's the magic combination to get to 60 votes, which we need to get over that filibuster hurdle? So, you know, it's an unenviable position and Chuck Schumer has been in this position a lot of times since he's become majority leader. And uh, this is another one that's going to be really tricky to navigate next week. Right, because there is bipartisan support for Ukraine aid, but there's not so much bipartisan support for the pandemic relief. There's a, there's a suspicion among Republicans that there's too much unspent money out there from previous pandemic relief laws that should be tapped and and they don't want to go deeper into debt for more pandemic relief. And what's really tying it up is this battle over immigration, this, this so-called Title 42 policy, uh, which has barred migrants from entering 
the country during the pandemic uh, that the administration now wants to lift and the Republicans and even some Democrats say not so fast. And Republicans are insisting on an amendment vote on that policy as part of pandemic relief. It's tying up the whole thing in knots. And so now you don't know how this affects Ukraine aid, because even though there's bipartisan support for Ukraine aid, a good number of Democrats say they they want to do it all in one package, thinking, I guess, that that is the best chance of quickly passing the pandemic relief as well, because they don't Republicans aren't going to want to vote against Ukraine aid. But it it's hardly an easy lift that way. And there's still no resolution on this Title 42 issue. So there's a couple of things going on. I mean, you know, number one, you're right. They Republicans want to want to tap unspent funds for the uh, COVID-19 package. You'll recall the Biden administration requested $22.5 billion. That's now down to $10 billion because that's all they could come up with with bipartisan offsets. And David, right. I know as, you, as you've reported, about $2 billion of that isn't even a real offset because it's money in this aviation jobs protection program that is They weren't going to spend anyway, right? They weren't going to spend anyway. So, yeah, most of it is not even being spent. It's so a paper, it's a sa- paper savings, but not a real, not a real cut in spending. Yeah, and you know, it also they've also got this is sort of one of the underreported things. They've got a problem with one of the key, one of the most influential Democrats in the Senate on that package, Ron Wyden, Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, because one of the offsets would take money from the, the county payments program that he got uh, specifically that he negotiated as part of the rescue plan back in, in, 20, in 2021, early 2021. So one of the offsets would cut money from those programs. These are you know, poor rural counties in Oregon and, and other places that rely on the federal government uh, for money because they don't have a local tax base. There's a lot of federal lands there. So uh, you're taking money from that and it at the same time, half of that $10 billion package is essentially going to one company, Pfizer, to fulfill the contract the, the federal government made for antiviral pills. So you're Ron Wyden, you're sitting here saying, you're going to take money from my constituents and give it to Pfizer? We're trying to rein in drug prices and, and the profits that drug companies are making. So you know they've got, a, they've got a lot of problems here with that package. And as the White House has said, Things in that the money is not necessarily needed. They said they've talked about they need the money for to to purchase monoclonal antibodies, which are therapeutics that they're not ingested like like the antiviral pills. Very important. But the White House has said we need that money by late May. So if you look at what's going on here, we've got a recess coming up, Memorial Day recess at the end of May. You've also got May 23rd is the date that the Title 42 policy is supposed to end under the Biden administration's decision. So if you're the Republicans, you're you're thinking to yourself, we can wait out the COVID-19 package because the world is not going to end if we don't pass that in the next week or so. Ukraine aid, on the other hand, is a life and death situation for a lot of people on the ground in that country. And we can't wait. So Republicans are going to argue Democrats are playing politics with this by trying to lash the two issues together. And at the same time, they're going to say, look, the Democrats aren't even, don't even have a unified position on Title 42. So put that aside for now. Let's, let's jam this Ukraine aid through and we'll come back to the COVID-19 and immigration issues, which are tied together because of the public health emergency. 
because t- Title 42 was a was a you know considered a public health emergency when when it was put in place by the Trump administration. Right. So and we've still and the Biden administration has said we're still in a public health emergency for COVID nineteen. And the other subtext of this, I'll just mention real quick, David, is Republicans do believe you know or many of them do that we are coming out of the public health emergency, and so you know let's let things reopen. Let's let things take their course. We don't necessarily need to take additional emergency measures for COVID-19, which by the way, the Democrats will throw back at them and say, well, if the public health emergency is over, then what do we need Title 42 for? (laughs) So there's a lot going on there. And so the attitude of some Republicans is, look, let's divorce Ukraine aid from all of that Let's get that done quickly, and then we can come back to fight out those issues. But then the Democrats lose it, lose leverage for the things that, that they want on the uh, on the COVID package. So it's a real mess. And we should say we did see the administration try to try to rescue its Title Forty Two plan this week. The Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was up on the Hill this week saying they have a plan for when the policy is lifted, how they're going to process all these migrants coming in. They're going to ramp up staffing and detention capacity at the border. But it looked to me, Pete, like it went over like a lead balloon and lawmakers still weren't buying it, at least on the Republican side. They just feel they're going to, that lifting this policy would be a disaster. And so they're still going to insist on this amendment vote. And it just raises a huge obstacle here unless unless Democrats are willing to bite the bullet and and let that amendment go through and keep the policy in place. But that's going to trigger significant blowback on the White House. Yeah. And it's all also really expensive. I mean, you know, there's already been some initial reporting about how ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Customs and Border Protection are hemorrhaging cash already. And they're going to be out of money you know, in, in short order here. And, you know, Chris Murphy, the chairman of the Homeland Security Subcommittee and Appropriations in the Senate, Democrat, has said the costs are, are potentially massive here and we're going to need to take care of that. But yet at the same time, DHS officials said this week that we're not there yet, that we don't need that money. So I think there's a lot of frustration on the part of the administration on, on both sides of the aisle with the way they're handling this issue. And, um, yeah, uh, Title Forty Two. If you're from a border state, or if you're from or from a purple state or red leaning state, and you're a Democrat and you're facing a potential midterm tidal wave here, you're concerned that you're going to look like you're just opening the border back up at at a time when there are document well documented surges coming over the border. So there's a bipartisan group working on it now. We'll see what happens, but all of it sort of speaks to this morass that you talked about, David, where all of these issues are bundled together, and it's going to make it really difficult to to sort of break something loose in the Senate over the next week or two that can reach President Biden's desk in time. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. I mean, there was some talk of the Senate taking up some kind of Ukraine bill next week. I don't know if that's true, but the House isn't even in next week, so this is going to take at least two weeks to settle out. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, Pete, there was some confusing talk over resurrecting the Build Back Better plan in scaled back form, of course. Joe Manchin has been you know, kicking around these ideas of a smaller package. This is to expand the social safety net and, and, and combat climate change, but in a much more scaled back form with an emphasis on deficit reduction maybe reversing the Trump tax cuts. 
But he's also talking with Republicans about a bipartisan energy plan, which would seem to compete with that. It seemed to me like they're spinning in circles going nowhere. But what did you make of all that? I mean, there's some talk going on. Yeah, I, I don't know how much stock I'd put in in talks of a, a build back smaller package coming together. You know, Manchin, people kind of talk about him as moving the goalposts all the time, but I think he, he's been fairly consistent on a couple of key points. And one is that let's take care of the immediate issues in front of us, the, the really the must have things. Let's do that first, um, you know, since, since last year. And so, you know, now you've got things, I mean, I mean, Ukraine is just really the big elephant in the room right now that if they look like they're kind of shunting that aside and moving to, to more issues that are sort of more intended to fire up the democratic base in advance of the midterms, it, you know, Manchin, that doesn't play well in his home state where Donald Trump won by 40 points a couple of times. So, um, you know, and then the other, the other big elephant in the room is inflation. You know, inflation is just the, the major domestic issue of our time. Yeah, It's the real albatross around the necks of any Democrat hoping to get reelected right now. So and we have more numbers this morning on inflation that were not good. Now, a lot of those are, a lot of that is due to uh, energy costs that are elevated uh, partially as a result of the Ukraine situation, food costs, commodity prices are through the roof, part, again, partly related to the Ukraine situation. But so it all kind of kind of comes back to Ukraine and inflation. And those are the two big things that they need to kind of to tackle. Now, so the Democrats are kind of coming out and re-spinning the build back better plan as an inflation fighter by saying that raising taxes is going to cool off that demand in the economy. And there's some economists who would who would support that thinking. But they have a big problem on that front, which is they're not united on on raising those tax rates because we know that Kirsten Sinema of Arizona won't bite and they need every single Democratic vote to pass that package. It ain't going to happen. Well, they have a lot of tax increases in, in the underlying package that Sinema already signed off on. But not the but not the broad tax rate increases that they want to see now that Manchin's talking about. Yeah, but I think man, it, it, that's I think that's kind of a smokescreen. I, I mean, Manchin has already signed off on a lot of the tax increases that are in the underlying packages as well. I mean, I think if anything, Cinema has kind of in recent months has been backtracking a little bit on even some of the things that she signed off on. At least there's been some reporting about that. So, in any case, you know there are a lot of tax increases. There's over a trillion dollars in there now. Uh, in fact, closer to two trillion, I think, in uh, in tax increases, gross tax increases. Um, you know, and so, but the question is, what is it really going to do for inflation? If you, if you enact those things is, you know, how much of it is just going to hurt the workers who work for some of these corporations? How much of it is just going to sap? I mean, the really wealthy people who this would, would affect these, some of these tax increases, the surcharge on households making more than $10 million, for instance, sure. It's going to sap some of their consumption, maybe. Uh, maybe they might buy fewer yachts, which, um, you know, <laughs> th that's going to end up hurting people who make the yachts, you know, would be the counter argument for that. So, uh, you know, those are probably lower, lower income workers. So, you know, there's a huge debate. This, this debate has never really gone away. Uh, you know, what are, so, you know, now whatever Manchin is going to support is going to have to reduce the deficit. So, you know, you could argue that withdrawing some of that federal government stimulus 
by starting to, to curb deficits might also saps, you know, suck some of that demand out of the economy. So there's a real debate going on. But again, Manchin keeps coming back to this. First things first. And so you mentioned his bipartisan energy group he's, been, he's starting to work with. Right now, energy supply is the real, is the real bottleneck when it comes to the, the inflation drivers. So Manchin is saying, look, let's get this all of the above energy strategy to boost domestic supply, less reliance on Russian gas for some of these European countries. Let's boost our own supply and export that to Europe, which is also going to you know, drive up demand and could increase prices. But more supply is ultimately going to be better for, uh, for inflation because you're going to, that supply will match that demand in, in more, um, equitable fashion. So that's where Manchin is. And so, um, you know, and then do they have to come back and talk to cinema again? Probably, but they need to, Elizabeth Warren wrote in the New York times the other day that if we don't do this, we're, we're toast in the midterms. So there is a huge amount of pressure. They're talking about trying to do something, trying to get a framework together by Memorial day, pass it by July 4th. Um, with everything else going on, it's really hard to see how that comes together. It's a tall order. And speaking of inflation, Pete, we got some troubling economic news this week. I mean, when you think of soaring inflation, you, you usually think of an overheated economy that's soaring. Uh, we've had record low unempl- unemployment rates, and you'd think of excessive spending. But actually, what we found out this week is the economy actually contracted in the last quarter. What do we make of that? Is that a statistical blip, or or, or is it uh, portending a recession as as, as- the president was asked about? Yeah. I mean, there's no question that things are slowing down. I mean, I think that number was a bit of a blip. There was a lot of weird weirdness in that number yet. Uh, you know, most of it was driven by essentially net imports. So when, when we're importing more than we're exporting, that's a drag on GDP. Consumer spending was up, which you know, which was a positive, not as much, not by up, not up as much as people maybe expected. But uh, again, a lot of that was eaten up by inflation. I mean, you know, a lot of that was people just spending more because prices were higher. So, you know, I think we saw in the latest report that came out this morning, consumer spending in the month of March was up by 1.1%, but adjusted for inflation, it was only 0.2%. But still, that's good. That's positive. I mean, consumer spending is up. So that is a real positive for the economy. So that sort of belies the negativity around that apparent contraction in the first quarter GDP number. So there is still a lot of residual strength. Business investment was up. I mean, the president was out talking about that yesterday. That's true. You know, all that's true. But the fact is inflation and core inflation, you know, excluding food and energy prices is coming down. So we're sort of kind of peaked on that. So that's all of that is, is positive. But on the other hand, if you look at consumers' mood, and the fact that wages are just not keeping up with with inflation at all, they ha- they have a big problem. I mean, you know, they used to call it the, the they still call it the misery index, which is when you, when you sum up the unemployment rate and inflation. So unemployment rate is is down considerably, but a lot of people think that's not going to last. You know, the unemployment rate could come back up here as we start. You know, people are talking about another recession. I mean, the Federal Reserve is about to really slam on the brakes on all of the liquidity that they've pumped into the economy over the last two years. So yeah, that, that's all coming to an end. Everything the Fed has been doing, they're tr- they've got to, to tame inflation or they lose all credibility because they're 
you know, everybody agrees, everybody who, who follows this stuff agrees the Fed has been way behind, behind the eight ball on, uh, on trying to, uh, you know, they called it transitory. Inflation was going to go away and it didn't. And the Fed is way behind on that. So the brakes are coming down fast and hard on that. And so a lot of people think a recession is possible. Now, you know, the numbers yesterday don't, even though it was a contraction, it doesn't mean a recession is, is going to be immediately. But in any case, consumer sentiment, we'll get some new numbers out here actually in a couple of minutes on that, but consumer sentiment has been down, not as bad as it was in, in you know, after the 2008 crash, but consumers are not happy. The mood is not good. There's a Gallup poll yesterday that said less than half of uh, households polled feel positive about their finances. That's a big change from even just last year. Right. And that's and that's why Republicans are so energized about these midterms, right? They see inflation as as uh it's just killing Democrats left and right. And they they really think they can take the majority just on that alone. Right. And so that's why Democrats are really are, are trying to focus on gas prices now and try to do some, do something there. But there's really there's just nothing that the federal government there's really not a lot more the government can do to to fix that problem. I mean, that is just a global supply demand imbalance, and that's got to work itself out. And anything that Congress tries to do on that is really just going to be more of a feel good press release for uh, Democrats who are trying to, you know, convince their constituents that they're they're really you know on top of this issue. Okay, and with not much time, people, before we go, appropriations. All of a sudden, top appropriators are really optimistic. They're going to get a deal together within weeks, we're told. Can we believe this? Well, anything that comes together in the next few weeks would really be a kind of bare bones, you know, just kind of some numbers to fill in the blanks, uh, which is going to take a lot of time to figure out. You know, once they have that so-called top line number, then they've got to figure out what the allocations are to all of the various components of the federal government. But somehow I'm still skeptical we'll even get that in the next few weeks. Yeah. I mean, there's always there's always skepticism. And, you know, because our colleague Paul Krawczak wrote about this the other day. What are the incentives for both sides to come together? I mean, Democrats have, have basically most of the incentives here. But then you've also got some incentives on the part of Republicans who are retiring, um, including some, some influential ones like Richard Shelby, Roy Blunt, you know, big appropriators in the Senate who are retiring and want to get something done on their watch. Susan Collins, the incoming top Republican on, on Senate appropriations, wants to get something done so she can you know, start clean next year. Yeah, if I were the average Republican, I would be thinking, geez, if I just pass a bunch of stopgap measures and throughout the year and stall this thing, we'll have the majority come January and we can write a much better bill from our perspective and, and uh, pump up defense as much as we want. Yeah, that's that's the main issue. But you know, competing against that is um, some good points that that were made in Paul's story, which is that is again, it comes back to inflation because if you're operating, you know, last year we were on stopgap CRs for five and a half months, uh, and that was really starting to bite at the end there because of inflation. Mm -hmm. So you know, CRs are mostly flat funding from the prior year. So this year, especially for the Department of Defense, when they're trying to you know help out allies in Ukraine and military pay increases, uh, all of those things, fuel costs. I mean, you know, all of these things cost a lot of money and the costs just kind of grow every year independent of congressional decisions. So another CR for six months for defense, I think you, you're going to have a lot of Republicans look at that as uh, as a really bad idea. But uh, 
you know, to your point, the politics are such that Republicans are really smelling that chum in the water. They really do believe that. And all the polling would seem to indicate that they are going to at least take back the House. So uh, absolutely, they're going to have um, a, a big incentive to uh, to stall this thing to where they can get more favorable terms next year. Now they're still going to they're still going to need sixty votes in the Senate, uh, even if they wait till next year. So you know they they I'm sure they realize that they can't go too far over to the right. But uh, yeah, I mean there, there's there's a, a big that's what happened in 2010 when Obama and Biden were president and vice president, and they had uh, the House and the, Democrats had the House and the Senate. It, the whole thing fell apart, you know, when Republicans realized that they were going to take the House back, you know, halfway through the year. And so things just fell apart and Democrats did not want to take chances and put their members on the hook for tough votes. And so uh, the whole thing just fell apart. And of course, we ended up with uh, Republicans taking back the House and, and the appropriations bills didn't pass until the following April. And that was a year long CR for every other agency other than defense. So, you know, that's, uh, uh, Democrats are, are looking at that experience and thinking, well, gee, you know, we better wrap this up this year before that something like that happens. All right. Well, we'll see if we get a top line kind of spending deal in the next few weeks, but I, for one, I'm not going to hold my breath, but that does it for us today. Thank you all for listening and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.